Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Set up, uh, but uh, we trust that uh, God has already blessed you and ministered to you. Uh, this place has a rich uh, Christian heritage and um, the, the journey of Arena Church is just to uh, continue to be a place where the good news is preached. Uh, I don't know about you, but as we sing, and, and uh, we're only four or five weeks into this pioneering journey, so it's very new. Um, but as we sing, you can almost, uh, for me, you can almost sense that people have sung in this place for a long time and, uh, and uh, ministered. And we're, we're really thanking God for that, and we're picking up on uh, the great faithfulness of people in the past. Our present and our future is always determined by a past. So um, if you, as Jonathan has said, new to Clumber Hall, new to Arena Nottingham, then please join us, join us on the journey. We're here every, every uh, uh, Sunday night at five o'clock. Um, as we were saying in another context, we're now in the dark season. The nights are dark. Many of you will be traveling home this week and for the next two or three months in, in the dark. But um, above all that, we believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And uh, so we want you to feel that you can come along every week. Uh, you may be new to the city because you're studying here. You may have moved in. You may have lived here all your life. Uh, but this uh, new community of people gathering together uh, really does want um, to uh, go forward. And, and uh, thanks to uh, Jonathan and Annie for all they're doing uh, week in and week out and sewing into this. So tonight, uh, not only do we normally sit in rows, but normally we have a preach. And... Uh, Tonight's slightly different because we're going to do an interview, but make no mistake, the Word of God is going to come tonight as a seed to drop into our hearts, and I'm sure that you're going to be inspired by what you hear. Um, so um, let me just introduce uh, Lisa to you, um, because as Jonathan says, she, she is our uh, community pastor, but also our, our, our pastor of our community hub church, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, later on. And uh, uh, it's my joy tonight just to uh, uh, draw a little bit out of Lisa's story. As Jonathan said, my name's Phil, Phil Pye, one of the pastors of Arena. And so, Lisa, thank you for coming. And um, we trust that over the next few minutes, um, it's just going to be really inspiring to to people to hear what God's saying. We're going to go back in a few minutes, but I don't want to start there. I want to start a little bit with uh, the now. And... um, your first hat of being the community pastor in Arena, particularly uh, in the community hub uh, at Ilkeston. I wonder if you just tell people a little bit about that journey, its small beginnings, small beginnings even for yourself, and how that's grown and what you lead now and how it touches people's lives, please. Yeah, um, so I didn't start off as um, the community pastor. I started off as community coordinator, and I used to hate giving that title because you had to say, I'm Lisa Harrison, I'm the Arena Community Coordinator of Arena And I just used to hate saying all that title, but that's where I started off. And it was basically just coordinating the food bank, what we started back then. Um, and quite a few of you here can remember them days. It was just a splintered pallet put out at the front of the church where we asked congregation, come and bring your food, we're going to start a food bank. So, you know, it seemed quite small and I thought, okay, I'll go to the pastor and I'll pitch up for that. I had no idea where that had leered. I just thought I'd be packing bags. Um, but I'd say within the first couple of months, Christian Thorpe, our senior pastor, had made me the coordinator. 
Within a couple of years, I then was the manager of Arena Community because I think when you identify one need, like we did with the food bank, it then unpacks the nature of many other needs. Um, and so it became apparent really fast, would you agree, Phil, that it was just growing bigger and bigger than the food bank? Yeah. So just to put a context to this, we're now going back nearly 10 years, and um, um, particularly in... Uh, in Ilkeston, but obviously we became aware of other situations. Um, what is known as austerity was really beginning to bite, and right on the doorstep of the church, uh, there were lots and lots of people that genuinely were, were struggling. Uh, and as Lisa said, um, Food Bank was the first expression of practically trying to help people um, in that ministry. Uh, Lisa, can you just tell us uh, briefly how, how that really snowballed, and even a little bit of the national profile mm. that you got um, so you're even on the telly? Yeah, uh, reluctantly, <laughs> might I say. Um, I just signed up to pack bags, like I've said. But before we knew it, it grew. It grew beyond us. Um, and we got um, BBC coming down, doing interviews. We was on local radio, in all the local newspapers. Um, and although back then I was absolutely petrified, I was in Christian's office, more days going, I'm not doing it, you're going to have to go and do it. But Eleanor, his daughter, knows all this to be true. Um, but, you know, I did it. Um, because the good thing about that, it brought food banks to the forefront. Because you hear about it all the time now on telly. But like Phil said, this is 10 years old now for us. And you didn't hear about it then. We was the only one um, within miles so they used to come to us from Long Eaton. Some people have travelled from Derby, from Nottingham, because there was no other food banks. So the good thing about going on TV, radio, and we still do do radio, don't we, Phil? Um, was that it got it out there and it broke down a lot of prejudice that it wasn't just for a certain group of people that a lot of people thought it was. Yeah, one of our biggest fans now is uh, does a, a radio programme on Radio Derby, Andy Twig, and um, and he loves coming to uh, the community hub on a regular basis and um, and and hearing the stories of of, uh, of what God is doing. Just one final thing on 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 that, Lisa. Can you just try um, and in a few numbers just try and uh, communicate to people exactly the the growth of the work of community? Just putting it in, you know, some approximate figures of parcels handed out, people that are helped, etc. Just to try and really show that this really has grown and grown. Oh, well, I mean, that going to thousands. There's thousands of parcels that, that's been given out. Um, the team alone, it takes 80 volunteers. Um, that's, that's just the volunteers, not the paid staff. 80 volunteers to run the operation that is the up. So we, we, out of the up, we've got um, the project that's another initiative uh, that's a retail business and a cafe in another part of our town. Um, without that, just the other alone, it takes 80 volunteers and approximately seven paid staff just to run that site. Um, we've got 35 to 40 agencies from the probation services to the local fire department and police to social services to schools all partner with us. Um, and so these phone calls taken and um, given to them daily. Thank you. And, and uh, another aspect of that is that there's several houses now that are seeking to give accommodation to people that 
for whatever reason have been homeless or have come out of an institution and, and, and need some help. So that's another aspect. So uh, many people, she, she's now, that's why she's no longer called the Arena Church communicate, uh, coordinator, coordinator, but she's now our uh, Arena Community Pastor. And so as the, uh, as the other campuses grow, and every one of them will have a heart for community. Lisa's just able to give a lead to that. She's been very helpful to Mansfield in terms of them going forward. And one of the passions of uh, Jonathan and Annie and uh, Christian and Caroline in terms of Arena Nottingham is that increasingly we'd have a community arm, arm from the church. And uh, you don't need me to tell you that for, in all sorts of different contexts, and we've identified four or five particularly, right on the doorstep of this building, there's numbers of needs. So watch this space because that will grow and grow and it will grow out of the inspiration of Lisa passing on some of the experience that's been learned. So that's present and we thank God for an amazing journey over the last decade in community. But Lisa, just for a few moments, and we know we could be here a long time because it's a big, great story. Um, but um, things weren't always like this. And so uh, I wonder tonight if you could just tell us a little bit of your backstory of... Uh, a time when you weren't a follower of Jesus, you had no thought of him even, and uh, how, how you came to a place of Jesus completely changing your life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think I've got about seven minutes to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, so when, when Phil introduces me as um, community pastor, and I've given you all them other titles that I used to have, just, just to give you a bit of um, understanding before I get to this, the hardest title for me to take was that of pastor. I found the community coordinator just a tongue twister. Manager, you, got, you just got to boss about a bit. So that kind of suited me, if I'm honest. You know, just do it because I say it. Um, or some telling Christian. That's what they used to get in the early days. Um, but pastor was a whole different ball game. And if I'm honest, it took me three months when Christian asked me to be pastor to go away and weigh and measure that because... I didn't see myself as a pastor. Um, I didn't think a pastor looked like me. And when I touch on this, I think it'll help you understand why I grappled with that title um, so much. So um, I wasn't born a Christian, into a Christian household. I was born into a life of crime and drugs. Um, my father was the local gangster. He served most of my childhood in prison. If he wasn't in prison, um, he was up to no good. My mother, as a consequence mainly of my dad, suffered extreme mental health. Um, so when he was on with his shenanigans, shall we say, um, and it got too much for her, she'd just go away and lock herself in a bedroom um, for days. So normally it fell on me just to kind of sort my dad out, sort my brother out that was a year younger than me. Um, and that... That, without going into details, um, was just highly dysfunctional. So I became really hard, really young. Because when you grow up in a household where all of the visitors are on drugs, um, they all beat the women, it's, they're all getting arrested. If one gets arrested or ten get arrested, there's certain rooms that you're not allowed to go in in the house at certain times of the day because they're doing what they're doing. Um, you just become kind of desensitised to most things mm. that wouldn't happen in, in a normal household. So just to give you a little understanding of what that looks like when you become that immune to it, 
Um, it's just, I find it funny. I hope you do. Just a little story, um, how you get that way. Um, one day, me and my brother, we're just sat in watching telly, and we're only kids, you know, um, and we're as younger than, than the youth we've got in tonight. Just young kids watching telly. Anyway, where's my mum storm downstairs? She comes into the living room. She, she announces, right, that's it. I'm leaving him. I've had enough. He'd been up to no good. There was other women. There was all sorts of madness. I'm leaving him. We didn't bat an eyelid. We were watching telly. Um, and where's the, the front door slam? So we thought, well, she's gone. Five minutes later, my dad comes in the back door. Where's my passport? He's shouting. I say, it's in cabinet, there. Why? Why do you want your passport? I'm leaving. He says, I'm going to Amsterdam. So that's what I mean about how he lived. So that that's, tells you enough. Um, I says, well, just so you know, my mum's just left. She's just been in and she's just gone and she's just left out front door. Well, I'm leaving. I says, well... Who's looking after me and him then? Well, I don't know you. Now, I'm only a kid. So he's promptly got his passport and he's stomped out the other door. Well, my kid brother, he just looks like Bambi at this point, caught in it. He's like, oh, Ali, so what we're going to do? I said, don't worry about it. My mama lives down the street. I'll take us down my mama's, I says, because this is the truth of what was going off in my head. We was born into extreme poverty as well. Um, so we had always in the shoes. I've spoke about this before. It's gone in our local newspaper that we now do at church. Um, but my mum was a model. And because we were on benefits, she wasn't allowed to be paid money. So she used to get um, her wages in clothes. But I had none. Neither did Darren. We'd got lino in our shoes. Um, and anyway, she stormed out one door. He stormed out the other. She's got a wardrobe full of beautiful clothes. And there was this one dress, in particular, this pink polka dot dress that I'd had my eye on. Well, now she'd left. So I'm thinking, I'm in that dress. <laughs> my brother, he starts saying what we're doing for tea. I says, I've told you, I'll take you to my mom's. I bolts up them stairs, runs in her bedroom. I thought, the world's my oyster. I flings open these wardrobes, hell-bent. I was having it all, but first I was getting this pink dress. Flings open these wardrobes. Next minute, the wardrobe, out of it comes this almighty scream. Well, I just scream because the wardrobe's screaming, so I stand screaming. My brother's screaming, and he doesn't know what for downstairs because he just hears all this screaming. I look down, and there's my mum crouched at the bottom of the wardrobe. I'm just screaming, she's screaming, I says... What are you doing in here? She went, oh, what are you doing in my wardrobe? She promptly gets out the wardrobe, sorts me out for coming in a wardrobe. But what the point of the story is, when you live in that kind of life, Phil, you become that, you can have both parents come in and tell you they're leaving, and all you have got your eye on is a daft pink polka dot dress yeah. that you get in, and that's just how it was. Yeah. Just, um, just for a moment, and I know that you... Uh, you, you, you've shared this publicly before, um, but a little bit, perhaps, just of the, 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 uh, the, the, if you like, the crisis of circumstance that actually brought you to faith in Jesus. Yeah, so um, that's how I grow up. So I just took that into adulthood. So that came into my house, into my relationship with my children. My partner was not from that world. I picked someone from the Walton's world deliberately, but he just, he just came over to the dark side. Um, and so he just, he was enthralled by the power of that life, so he got heavily involved in it. 
Very long story short, he started drinking. He was not a good drunk. Um, so there was domestic violence very early on. But because of my mum, because I'd seen her locking herself away in the bedroom, I don't know if any of you have done this, but sometimes you just make agreements so you don't even know you've made them. And I made an agreement that I'd never be weak like that. I'd never lock myself in no room. No man had ever drive me upstairs to lock himself. If he wants to bring it, I'll bring it. And so you can see it kind of, it, it got very dysfunctional within our relationship. Um, and so one night, it had just gone south again. He got violent, knives got involved. Um, for you that don't know, I don't want to shock you, but I stabbed him. I was arrested for attempted murder. He was dying. I find myself in a cell. It was, it was, I was reaping everything that had either been sown into my life growing up or that I'd willfully now sown into my own life. And I was reaping all that. So I cried out to God. And he came. He came. And you changed. And I changed. <laughs> and and I'm a pastor. <laughs> and you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I could just say that um, um, the, the chap that got involved was on the wrong end of uh, Lisa's anger is now her husband. Um, so uh, the relationship was restored and uh, God's done an, an amazing thing in, in both of them. There's a long story out of that, as you can imagine. Um, but that, if you like, was the crisis um, that took Lisa on a process uh, to becoming a pastor. And um, uh, she, she shares that openly, not, not for a sense of... Uh, trying to deliberately shot, but just to realise that wherever we've been, whatever we've done, however far we think we've gone from God, God's always got his love and his power to bring us back to himself and to make a difference. So we've, um, we've just got a few minutes left and uh, Lisa's just going to bring the, the second part of the, of the interview to us. Uh, you've got a little bit, there's, uh, there's a long story there and uh, Lisa's wrote, wrote about that and uh, shared in other contexts um, of uh, the tremendous turnaround that took place. Um, Jonathan's right. Uh, uh, it may be that, and Lisa's had this, of course, uh, many people that haven't uh, committed that crime and therefore somehow think they're better. But the reality is, uh, the Bible says that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory, we've all missed the mark, and, um, uh, and therefore we all need to be forgiven. We, we tend to categorize uh, wrong, uh, but God doesn't. But we're absolutely thrilled that God in his amazing love in Jesus took hold of this life of Lisa, heard the cry, uh, and uh, she'll share a little bit perhaps another time about the process of that, how God just began to deal with her and change her and turn her around and uh, bring her to that place where most appropriately she could be called. Uh, pastor, particularly in terms of serving community. But Lisa, just uh, the third, probably main question, that's also changed a little bit in recent times uh, because uh, numbers of you will be aware in Arena that in this season um, we are planting a church in Balper, a, a town in Derbyshire, here in Nottingham, uh, with our friends uh, Patrick and Lucille in Toulouse. Patrick here last week speaking. And then also, very interestingly, uh, we have a church that takes place on a Monday morning at 11 o'clock. Uh, you might have been told that you've got a church on Sunday, but this, that's not the case. 
Um, so on a Monday at 11 o'clock, we've also, in the last few weeks, began to pioneer what we call the Community Hub Church. Lisa, you're the pastor. Uh, so I wonder if you tell folks a little bit about that and how they perhaps can pray about it um, particularly and what the real heart of that is, please. Thank you. Yeah, um, so it's been a bit of a journey uh, with that. So we were serving in all those other ways first and then it became um, apparent that a lot of the people that was coming to us through other services, be it our supported living, food bank, didn't all come from my particular background, but they did come from some form of dysfunction, uh, but they wasn't comfy coming to our central church um, in Elkiston. Um, they didn't feel worthy to walk in the church, but over 10 years they had got comfy within the up. Um, so me and Christian just talking in meetings, and he's, all, he's always for planting, um, started touching on, should we plant it up? Um, and a campus there. And eventually that's, that's what we did. Now, if I'm being honest, I had a couple of other people on the up for being campus pastor because I was just trying to dodge that one. Um, I thought, I'm already community pastor and that comes with a lot of work um, because you pastor to the community. Um, but I knew, I'm no Christian, you see. And I knew if I went on the up for the campus pastor, I knew that I'd mean preaching. Just need to, that's it. Um, and so I was trying to dodge that bullet. Of, of preaching um, but it didn't kind of work out with the people I had in mind so I had to go back after a few months and say fine I'll do it um, and do you know what we've only been going I think this is going to be week five Phil's preaching tomorrow um, and it's just been amazing um, we're just getting a great turnout from the community we stand we sing a couple of songs um, we bring the word to them and although I was nervous about doing it, how would it work in a factory? You know, because even my own husband, he thinks church should have stained glass windows, you know, um, and he couldn't bend his head around it. Uh, but it's working, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, uh, obviously uh, our musicians have got work and study commitments, so we've been using two songs uh, on a screen uh, from uh, the Hillsong Band, and it's been working really well. One of the things that surprised me is just how much liberty there is mm. in the meetings, mm. you know. Um, so Lisa and Christian have been explaining what uh, lifting hands means, and it's not a, a weird sign. It's just simply uh, an expression of worship and surrender to God. And um, so I've been surprised just how much freedom there's been in the meetings. And... Uh, I don't think anybody's walked out so far. Nobody's yeah. kicked off. Um, oh, it's me tomorrow. That's when it's going to happen. But, but, um, but, uh, but uh, uh, there's a, a real community beginning to build there. And last week we had four responses to the message as well, which was, uh, which was incredible. So uh, uh, it goes without saying, Lisa, you'd love people just to pray for that. And um, Definitely. if ever you've got a Monday off or, or you're free on a Monday morning, uh, mm. please feel free, you can come down at 11 to be part of that. Because I think it's worth noting there that it works because of people that don't come from my background. Yeah. So, you know, we've got our versions of, I'm looking at Ellen and Tim, um, we've got our versions of them down there and it works because of that. We yeah. can't, Christian says something to me a few months ago that stuck um, when he says, you know, try and encourage some Christians to come down and support you. And I had reservations, if I'm honest. I was like, 
Will they feel comfy? Because, I mean, they come and they can be a bit garching and under the influence, and, but they're really respectful. Yeah. Um, and he just, he just said this line, he just says, Lisa, you need light to overcome darkness. Mm. Um, and for me now, observing it and watching it, it's that that's a game changer for us down there because we do have quite a few of the community coming in, but it's people that don't come from our background, I think, um, that are really making it work and be church. Yeah. And it is a local church, and we're believing for baptisms, we're believing for growth track, we're believing for Alpha, we're believing for all those things to roll out on a Monday. So um, please continue to pray for it. Um, our time's nearly gone, and uh, in this uh, sort of uh, moments that we've had tonight, uh, you've, you've got a little bit of the picture of uh, Lisa. Some of you, of course, know her very well, and some of you, it will be the first time that you've met her. But a complete and genuine turnaround that's what conversion is uh it's it's it, uh, another another part of the bible says that when we become christians we're transferred or translated transferred out of darkness into light and uh, those of you that like your sport will know that uh, nowadays transfer fees are uh, stratospheric you know 70 million for a player um but the reality is that there was a price paid many many years ago by the Lord Jesus when he died on a cross that nobody else could pay. It's way beyond millions of pounds. And when we yield to that, when we give our lives to what Jesus did for us, then we are able to be transferred from dark to light. Lisa, thank you for coming. And Debbie, thank you for coming as well also tonight and for sharing a little bit into Community Hub. What I'm believing tonight is that as you've shared in a turnaround, uh, that that'll connect with Jonathan's prayers and Annie's and Christian's that literally within this city we'll see many 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 people have a complete radical turnaround from darkness to light and become followers of Jesus just tonight different people in the room maybe people that have never yet become a Christian or maybe people perhaps that have lost their way a little bit and uh, astrayed and wandered I wonder if in just a a minute or two you, you could just share with them that decision to follow Jesus and encourage them to do so as well please so for me, um, I've had many experiences in my life, some good, some not so good, and some, quite frankly, absolutely outstanding, amazing. Um, I'm a mother and I'm a grandmother, so for any of you that bear them titles, you'll know what I'm saying. Being a grandmother is absolutely out of this world for me, especially because now I'm saved and my life's all polished up and I'm a Walton now. Um, but you know what, if, if I'm being dead honest, um, and sometimes my own family have struggled with this statement, but it's true. It's the God's honest truth for me. The best thing that has ever, ever happened to me was the day I collided with Jesus Christ. Yeah. That day changed my life, my destiny, and that of my children and my grandchildren. All I, all I would ever say to anybody is, make today the day you collide with Jesus Christ, and you will look back and you will remember this day as the best day of your life. Thank That's you. It. Thank you. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And in a few moments, Jonathan will give an opportunity for people to respond to that. Thank you for listening. Why don't we show it up for Lisa, please?